I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, Conversations on Catholic Faith and Culture. Aidan Hart, it's great to have you with me. Um, and uh, I've known you for, I, we were just working it out before we, we started recording, something like 30 years, I think I was first introduced to you, when I, the, when I wrote to Father Athanasius Ledwich, I don't know if you still you're still into yes. him. Oh, well, I, he's fine. I, okay, <laughs> but he, uh, uh, someone told me that he painted uh, without tempera, and so I wrote to him, and I think he must have passed the letter to you. I don't know if he'd ever painted anything in his life, and I got a letter <laughs> back from uh, Brother Aidan Hart, and um, it all started from there. I went to, I was just asking for help with the medium. And that was my introduction to you and to icons. I had no idea what icons were at that point. Um, now, what I'd like to focus on when we get into the, uh, the main part of this is your teaching method, because it, I, I learned in, uh, under you. And um, I, it struck me that you had a very particular method. Um, but before we get into that, just uh, tell us a little bit about how you uh, became an, an icon painter, an iconographer, and, and where did it all start, and, you know, and, and along with your faith as well. It's, it's, a, it's a good story, I think. Thank you. Yes, I was born in England, but raised in New Zealand, and brought up as nominally as an Anglican Episcopalian Christian. Uh, I was uh, baptised as a baby and um, confirmed, which meant that there was some uh, basic instruction. Um, but really, I wasn't an active Christian by any means. Um, but when I was about 14, I started to read the Bible. And this sort of, I could say at that point, a fire came into my soul. You know, who, who was Christ? Mm. And uh, a man came to our school and spoke about the faith. And as he was speaking, I had this, I wouldn't call it a grandiose thing of a vision, but effectively, to me, it was a vision of the face of Christ full of light. But with the community behind him, it was interesting that I, I saw this beautiful radiant face, but wasn't just Christ isolated, but the community behind it. And this stuck in my mind, but from that point, I gave my life to Christ. And to cut a long story short, I, um, I got to talk to my mathematics teacher, who was a Baptist, so he invited me along to his Bible study. And um, this uh, gave me great knowledge of the Bible and also at first what the early church was like. Um, uh, but after a while, I felt that the lack of, as it were, materiality in the Baptist tradition, as much mm. as I respected, was lacking somewhat. And I, being an artistic fan, I felt the material was important and just singing didn't seem to be enough. I felt intuitively that, that you know, the material world was an important part of my faith. So I was still sort of searching. So I went to a high Anglican church, which had incense and there were a lot of artists there. So step by step, without realising that I was moving toward um, the icon tradition. So as an Anglican, I was searching for much deeper prayer. Um, I trained as a teacher. I uh, did my degree in English literature and also I did quite a bit of mathematics. I always loved the arts and the sciences. And I felt, I suppose, as a Christian, that God created the whole world. So he could reveal himself to me through literature as well as through uh, the scientific world. And yeah, all that yeah. has actually had a big effect on how I teach, because for me, it's not just an art, it's a science. Mm. And um, then I became a full-time sculptor and was trying to express the Christian faith through my, um, my sculpture. 
uh, most of the work was just exhibiting work, it wasn't virtually religious, but I was looking for ways to express the spiritual nature of the human person. So I was experimenting initially with um, high degrees of naturalism. I felt no matter where I ended up, I had to understand the human body, so to understand the material world first. Then having concentrated on that for a year or two, I then began to abstract. It wasn't abstract art, but I was simplifying the face, trying to express the spiritual nature in a more raw way. Then after about the fifth year of being a professional sculptor, I tried to sort of combine these two together, the, the outer and the inner, as it were, the more naturalistic, if you like, and the more abstract, and came to various conclusions. And at this particular point, a friend of mine um, heard a radio program about two Orthodox monks, one of whom was an icon painter. So having spent a few days there, Ralph came back and said to me, I, I think you should go and visit this monastery because I think icons do what you're trying to do in your sculpture. So I went down and uh, was immediately taken by the icons. I thought, this is what I've been looking for. And um, as I mentioned, I've been looking for deeper prayer. And I was really taken by the whole Orthodox tradition of the filial and inner prayer. So within a few months, I decided to become Orthodox. Um, I felt, well, here's the early church, going back to my Baptist time. I felt the Orthodox faith was sort of rooted in the early church. So all these things came together for me, prayer, um, uh, the, the art, if you like, and the icon. And then I decided to um, pursue the monastic life. So after about three years in England in a parish, I, um, I, I became a novice monk. And all the time being more or less a full-time icon painter initially, and then got into carving icons and, and then eventually mosaic as well. So it was all about really gradual steps really. So for me, iconography has always been a part of my prayer life. Mm. Um, it's been an expression of prayer, um, but also I, I found that God teaches me through the whole process of painting an icon. So it's very much a dialogue through matter. That's interesting. Because you stress that, but what what struck me about uh, um, the 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 icons are part of the prayer life, and but your ap approach to that when you talk about it is not precious. If, if you know, so it, it, it's it, especially the painting of it. it, it you know, you're extremely. It's, it's you think you tell us we have to think, we have to learn the skills. This the um, the the prayer life is certainly involved but it's it's not a um a, a very sort of emotionally driven description is that fair um yeah it's a very good accurate description i i, yeah. I run some five day icon courses and first come first serve basically and a lot yeah. of people have had experience with the icon and sometimes you get people who think that the act of painting an icon is going to be a sort of a, an ecstatic gooey experience <laughs> yeah. will be a spiritual blessing but sometimes they're in tears because i say look this is frontline stuff you know prayer is is, is hard work it yes. involves the mind the body the emotions everything so yeah for me iconography uh, and the prayer aspect involves science i mean in fact prayer is a science some of the early church fathers spoke of this as science it's art. so to me prayer in any relationship with god involves the whole being mind body soul everything mm. That's, that's interesting. My background at university is science. Uh, I didn't even have the English literature. Um, and I loved, I was, and I'd, I'd always been interested in art, and I loved the systematic and methodical 
um, a part of icon painting that you really do plan things out in advance. You think about it. I remember your uh, motto was, uh, I think it was think twice, paint once, something like that. You know, in other words, think about what you're doing. We're not just sort of putting our emotions. And I, my temperament, I think, and my backgrounds attracted me to that. So um, let's, let's get on to then how you, you taught yourself, as I understand, or how you learned to paint icons. So you had some artistic training. You were a sculptor. Um, so you weren't coming out of this totally out of nothing. But how did you go about learning to paint icons yourself? Yeah. Um, well, as a sculptor, I, I, the, one of the very first things I made was actually a, was called a flayed figure. It's a three foot work. And I made the skeleton out of clay with an armature and then put every muscle on individually. Um, and I think that sort of set the scene for things. In other words, I wasn't just looking at flesh, skin as a sculptor. I had to understand what was pressing that skin. Mm. Um, I was really interested in Auguste Rodin, the sculptor. And I noticed, even though the finished product was either marble or bronze, some areas were hard and some were soft, even though they're all the same hardness in reality. Yes. But yes. you can but he understood that, you know, this is a muscle, this was fat, this was a sharp bone. So that sort of set the spiritual tone for how I approached iconography. I felt I had to start from the inside and work out. So, um, and that's affected both technically and theologically how I approach iconography for myself and how I teach it. So um, I tell people you must understand anatomy and drapery. Uh, drapery particularly is a weak point in iconography normally. Yeah. So I try to help people to, as it were, dissect a line of drapery, you know, why is it going this way and not that? And normally, this is back to science and maths, it's to do with vectors, you know, a curve is a result of one, two or three forces. So mm -hmm. I try to get people to understand, you know, why that curve is there, and that really informs the, the end result. So in terms of my own teaching, I suppose my iconography is a continuation of my sculpting in a way. So um, the abstract nature of icon painting as Brancusi said, uh, complexity, sorry, simplicity is complexity resolved. Simplicity is complexity resolved. So my knowledge of anatomy and drapery was a way of trying to resolve the complexity. So I had an right then to be more abstract, to simplify. So um, the first step, I suppose, as, a, as an icon painter and carver, was to try to immerse myself in the icon tradition to see how they simplified the complexity to try to bring out the spiritual because I realized very quickly that the icon tradition is depicting the inner and the outer mm -hmm. um, so the abstract nature of the work was actually not for its own sake but to indicate hidden spiritual truths so the first teacher was just good icons I've just studied them and always ask why you know why like this and not like that um, I had very detailed notes from one of the leading icon teachers, uh, Leonard Ospensky. He was a Russian who lived in France, and one of his last students used to visit our parish in Bar quite a lot, and he gave me all his notes from Ospensky. Wow. So you could say my first teacher was Leonard Ospensky by his detailed <laughs> notes. Um, and then um, it was primarily just analysing good icons, really, and right. trying to understand why they were. When I met iconographers, I would pick their brains. Um, then later on, I began to search out and study 
the works of cons cons conservators, so with modern equipment, these conservationists who are analysed icons could tell you what pigments were used, how they layered up in the old days, the paints. Yes. Um, they're my three main sources, really. Uh, notes from good iconographers, observation of good icons, and modern science, really. Right. Um, that, that's interesting that, uh, it's, as you describe it, this is analytical. You've obviously got a, a, a mind that um, is disposed to looking at things and analysing and then synthesising. To come back to that uh, statement, simplicity is complexity resolved. I'm gonna, that'll be one of the leading quotes, I think, for this <laughs> when, we, when I push it around on social media. But the, the, the resolving of the complexity Another way of thinking about that, perhaps, is the synthesis of all that. Yeah. Analysis is great. You break things apart and look at it. That's the scientific process. But something that's often forgotten is the way in which you put it back together again mm. is, is not just a simple sum of the parts. You, you have to have an understanding of what that whole is. And I, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking you had that because you were studying and reading as well. And... and mm making sure that you knew how to do that. Um, okay, so first of all, is that, am I summarizing correctly? Does that sound about right? We've been talking largely about the technical and aesthetic side, yeah. but I would say one of the essential means of synthesizing is to know your theology, to live the life of the church. Yes. Because making an icon is the result of thousands of little decisions and each decision must be informed ultimately spiritually. So um, it's a bit like you can tell the difference between a sculpture or painting that's a portrait painted from photographs and one that's painted from life. When we're uh, with the actual person, their personality, consciously or unconsciously, has to make those little decisions because of the force of their personality it makes it clear we'll, we will emphasize this or leave out that. Um, whereas from the photograph it's just almost a tip process of transferring freckle to freckle or nose to nose so i think knowing your theology in the fullest sense not academic theology but knowing christ and knowing the life of the holy spirit in the church is the ultimate means of, of knowing how to simplify because the word abstract means to draw out we tend to think of abstract as a departure from reality but the original meaning of the word abstract the latin word is to draw out so we're drawing out what is existing, but invisible. Mm. So if I were to do a portrait of you, I've got to draw out your personality, the invisible. So I'd abstract to actually make that more evident. So abstraction is based on objective truth, which for an icon painter is, is the life of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the people who are painting. So um, I think I'd emphasize that all good iconography is this union of the technical ability and uh, knowing Christ. Mm. And, and you refer to theology, um, but especially what one imagines the, the anthropology, the theological anthropology, knowing what the, the human person is, especially, yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 All right. So you're, you're doing this and you're, you're painting and you're collecting these notes. You're examining uh, all of these uh, icons and starting to produce them yourself. Um, how... Uh, how did you translate that into teaching? And 
for also at what point did you decide that you were able to teach yourself so how did you make that transition from a, a, a student of sorts a self-student teaching yourself to an established painter and then teacher is that the way that it, it went and how how do you decide when you're ready to do that those make those transitions before I answer that, David, I just uh, need to say something to Martin, my assistant, who's about to go. Yes. Yeah. Hi. It should be here. I tidied everything up. Here it is. Okay, that just shows that we're live. Sorry, we've been finishing <laughs> quite a large. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a real thing. Good. Yeah, so, um, so after two years of eventually having icons, um, one or two people asked if, just asked a few questions how it's done, and I was a complete beginner in the sense. Uh, so I, I just sort of shared a few things. And then about, about three and a half, no, four years it was, um, by this stage I was a novice uh, living in Wales, a novice monk. Um, someone wanted to come and, and study under me, and I said, well, I'm, I'm still a learner, but in speaking share, uh, notes, as it were. Um, then that increased more and more, really, and then about five people wanted to come and do an icon workshop. Um, so it was a bit chaotic. I just said, well, you just bring what you want to pay, and I might say something might be useful or may not be, so it was quite informal. Um, then after doing that, well, once a year for two or three years, two or three years, well, we make this more of a formal thing. This I wasn't charging any money and had to do everything else at the same time, all the prayers and cooking and that. So um, some of them got together and said, well, if we organise the administrative side, um, yeah, can we make this a more regular thing? So then I realised, goodness, yeah, this is getting a bit more serious. So that's when I had to sort of work out a, a methodology. In the end, I decided it must be me demonstrating an icon, and we all painted the same icon. Um, so it could be a bit more ordered. So I started writing and then really through pressure from others, had to formalize the teaching more. I mean, I always, I'm, I'm still a student. I don't consider myself a teacher so much. It's just someone who's handing on what I've learned. But I'm still very much on, on the road to learning. I've been full-time painting about 35 years, but I'm learning the whole time. And um, my sort of master, I feel, in terms of inspiration is, is Iman Peel, who's a, um, a Russian contemporary iconographer. So the last 20 years studying his work um, has made me realise that I've decided begun I'm at the intermediate stage. So I would emphasise that, that I, I don't feel that I've transitioned from being a a student and teacher. I'm, I'm teaching, but I'm still a student very much. Right. So th that's interesting. As I'm listening to this, what, what I hear is a you're doing it and then people are noticing this and asking you questions. Uh, presumably some of them are asking you to paint things for them and commissioning work. And what is happening here is that it's the quality of what you do that is generating the interest. So I, I, I'm reminded of, um, again, when I first met you, I, I was interested in um, get, get, trying to 
create an art school. It was so I, I talked about this early on because particularly in the Catholic world, there were huge gaps. Um, I couldn't find anywhere to train. And um, I, when I asked you about it, you said, well, what do you have to do? You have to get everything right, the ideas right, the methods. And then once you, you've got something to offer, one way or another, by the power of the Holy Spirit almost, people will come. And you, the way I remember the phrase you use, you say it's like bees around honey, that the people come to, sub, to you if you've got something to offer. And that seems, that seems to be what's happened with you, that um, really you weren't pushing to do this. It's sort of it, people were, were, were trying to, were asking you about it. And then you responded to the requests by focusing first on just being good at what you're doing. And I would, uh, I'm going to suggest beauty through the beauty of what you do, that that is ultimately what calls people in. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I suppose so, yes. I, I suppose, even though I'm not a, a monk, um, obedience is the heart of the monastic life, and I felt that that should be the heart of every Christian's life. In a monastery, it's obedience to the abbot or the abbess. But yeah. um, for an icon painter, or in Christian in the world, it's obedience to the needs of others, as it were, the obedience to what people are asking of you. And I, I suppose right. that's the antithesis of obedience. The word obedience in Greek means to listen intently. Epicoi means to listen intently. So I suppose it's just listening to what, as it were, the Holy Spirit saying through other people. Um, I don't right. set myself up as a teacher, but um, as you say, I just responded to the, to the request. Yes. I, I, I've noticed that um, quite a lot of the, the people who are able to make a living as artists at, the, at the, this point seem to be self-taught like you, actually. So um, it's just something that I've noticed. Now, um, perhaps you could just talk a little bit more about your philosophy of teaching. I don't know if you're able to articulate it. Um, and uh, how how you feel your own experiences might have contributed to the way in which you passed it on and what you're aware about how this might be different or similar to other people who are teaching iconography, for example, or other, other things you do consciously differently or other things that you add uh, that you're aware of. Um, presumably you hear about how other people teach um, as you go through this. Um. Perhaps it's a rather rude thing to say, but I feel that in, in the West, too many teachers of iconography aren't good iconographers themselves, and they shouldn't be teaching. So I think that's the first thing, if one's a student, you should look at the icons and think, well, are they well painted? You know, the best way to sing is to <laughs> the teacher can't sing. So I think, I think that's one thing that, that led me to sort of try to jump into the gap, not that I'm a great icon painter, but I thought, well, there's just too many, there could be good teachers, but the iconography wasn't good enough. Mm. So I think the first thing I felt was that I need to prove, you know, otherwise I'm going to unwittingly hand on um, mistakes. I'm going to hand on my inexperience or my inability. Mm. So I think the first thing teaching told me is it's a sort of a judgment. <laughs> it's a judgment on my own work. So I thought, well, goodness, I've got to get better. I've got to understand yes. what I'm doing. If I'm doing it right, understand why. If you just paint and get it right, um, but not know why, so one can't communicate it. Um, one or two of my students have studied under someone who's very, a very good painter, 
that this Sid actually is not a very good teacher and he, he knows it. He, he, he says, well, I, I can paint, but I'm not a good teacher. Um, so I thought, well, I've not only got to try to be a good painter, but I've got to understand why this works and that doesn't. Um, so I suppose my whole philosophy is, has been to try to become redundant as a teacher. In other words, to try to give people time as principles so they don't have to always depend on me. It's a bit like if someone wants a mathematical answer, I can either just give them the answer, but not the formula. So they've always got to come back to me to get the answer. Yes. Or I can give them the formula so they can always work it out for themselves. So that's been my philosophy, really, to become redundant, to equip them with the tiniest principles. Um, I suppose the second thing is to be quite strict early on, because um, in Russia, for example, uh, iconographers are generally, uh, well, a lot of them anyway, study about five years full time at an academic level as, as artists. Um, a bit like we used to have in the West, our art schools were really rigorous, but we've lost all that. Mm. So even if someone's done a master's in fine art, at least in England, it means nothing in terms of teaching and technique. So I'm quite strict really about um, starting from the beginning. So I run a three-year part-time course, which is a certificate of, of icon painting run through the Prince of Wales' School of Traditional Arts. And the first year, we just do monochromes, that is not using colour, just using rather one colour, and not painting on gesso panels, we just use watercolour. So um, I sort of try to start from the basic, just the drawing, as it were. When I say drawing, not necessarily a pencil, but a drawing with a brush, so just one colour. So I suppose the first thing is to try to always explain why things are like. But secondly, start with the physical, St Paul said, the physical first and then the spiritual. So we start with form before getting into colour. Um, and only once I feel that the student has understood basic things like proportion of the human figure, you know, how, how big is the head in relation to the body, or where the eyes are in the middle, or three quarters up, or two thirds down, whatever. So before they can be any sort of big complex icons to start with monochromes, then the face, and then the, the body with the anatomy and the, the drapery, and then whole figures, ultimately, then um, more complex things like the festival icons. So that's a spiritual exercise, actually trying to bring people down to earth by saying we haven't got the right to experience spiritual things until we can um, draw and paint um, what, what's physically evident, and i.e. just a face and hands and fingers and drapery. Mm. Um. <coughs> iconography doesn't use life drawing as part of the, as in the, the nude, for example. If you went to a, a conventional art school, uh, that's probably the one thing that they will at least put give in a, a nod in the direction of technique, is that you have to do maybe one term of life drawing and then you pick up the video camera and do the, 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 the uh, installation or whatever it is. Um, now, you're stressing an understanding of anatomy and you were a sculptor um generally life drawing in that sense in the studio is is not done do you have any thoughts about does that matter do you think or is it helpful to do it um if you can it is i mean I'm, i generally encourage my students to, to do life classes um i suppose 
also the prototypes that tend to give them tend to be well modeled but they're painted by people who understand anatomy so i find father's anonymous work very good because it's it's modern the painting is in good condition you can get a masterpiece from the 12th century but often it's been battered and you can't read it well but um if people um can't or don't want to do life drawing i'm really keen on them studying good well-modeled icons so they can understand anatomy at least vicariously through well-painted icons we have yeah. to remember that the icon tradition actually came out of classical greek tradition so the i just was reading this morning in fact that um after the sack of rome there weren't many um roman sculptures around visible you know they were sort of most of them are buried in Byzantium and in, in Constantinople, um, a lot of the statues have probably been taken there. So they didn't have to go to life iconographers, but they had all these sort of sculptures around. You know, they did actually understand anatomy quite well. Mm. Um, so I think one way or the other, it'd be a good thing to be involved in to understand the human form. Um, even though probably an icon school wouldn't have life class, I think um, I always encourage people to go to them. Right. Um, it's interesting. I'm just sort of in discussion with people about whether it, it is necessary. Um, but you're saying that traditionally, because of course the Greeks, one presumes that, and the Romans, they were looking at the human form and the nude and that, that's where they got their statues from. So one way or another, that is the source of this. Um, and the thing that I, I always remember you doing when I uh, was in your classes was 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 this point of stressing the understanding particularly with regard to uh, drapery um, I, I actually did a year of uh, naturalistic I studied in Florence um, in an atelier there and studying the academic method and we had daily life drawing um, and in the end I got uh, frustrated because my interest as a finished product was not the new it was people wearing clothes and I felt we didn't actually yes. study enough how clothes reflect what's underneath and it was very interesting for me um, coming into your classes and you, you would talk about the vector just you, you mentioned earlier the vectors but you talk about the the pressure points that my shoulder here for example there's a lot of loose stuff but somewhere something is holding up this jacket and it's and that is you, you have that point has to be dead on otherwise everything looks off and um it, it, that means therefore you have to have a, a um a, a real precision i think in the drawing ability and the technique you can't hide behind the style um of the iconography um and so you, you stress that um is how, any what, what do you, is that right or how do you feel about that before we go on to another yeah, certainly yeah. in fact one of my um students um who just comes about every two or three weeks for a month for one or two hours i mean that's a lot of work at home i just saw him at uh, 11 o'clock today and i noticed that the shoulder of one of his icons was quite flabby this woman had a lot of garments on yeah where the garments touched the body the form was wrong because he hadn't actually drawn the outline of the body underneath so i had to say we've got to get back you don't have to draw every muscle of course but just yeah. just understand enough anatomy you know that this older muscle you know is this shape and then you've got the the other muscle on the forearm and so on um so 
you know, you, even if you don't study anatomy in the sense of every single muscle, which is not really necessary, at least enough anatomy to know what the profile of a figure is, because mm. um, you don't normally have a nude, of course, you're not tradition, but as you say, the cloth hangs off the body. Um, I quite often get people to observe the combination of convexes and concavities that form an outline of a figure. And um, normally people look once and paint three times. <laughs> so yes. as you were saying earlier, I often say, you know, think twice or look twice and paint once. So what initially appears to be just a single curve might actually be five different curves all combined. Concave, convex, straight, etc. And all that's a result of the anatomy underneath normally. Yes. So we have this pattern then that you are meeting with students, um, whether it's through regular workshops or you have someone coming in two or three hours a month, uh, and you're passing on some deep underlying principles. And then they're going away and doing things and then presumably coming back and getting critiques. Um, and, yeah. that, and that process, I imagine, could go on for years. But at the same time, it is giving you uh, I, an, an ability to start to analyse yourself. So what I found was that when I was with you, not only could I grasp these principles, but you, you were telling us how you had discerned that principle by looking at the icon. So, um, and you taught, I felt that you were teaching us to look and analyse and develop those principles ourselves. Um, and this was different from my experiences with other, other teachers, actually, but very much. Um, and it needed people who had a certain sort of independence of mind, I think, to be able to do that and go away with it. Mm. Um, but it was uh, very, very helpful. We should say that um, I think I've just got it somewhere here. Yeah, so I'm just going to run and get, of course, <clears throat> there is this book which I would recommend. This is Aidan's book, um, The Techniques of Icon and Wall Painting, um, which I'm going to say is the best instructional art book I have ever seen and really should be read by people regardless of whether iconography is, their, um, is the style in which they're working. Uh, because uh, you, what you, you outline in that in great detail these principles and in exactly the way you've described how you discern it, what the principle is and then how it can be applied in different areas and it's extremely thorough so uh, it's published by Gracewing and you can get it online so I just want to recommend that to anybody who wants to learn art in conjunction with, with all their classes. Um, so you're 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 doing these workshops you're having people coming to you what what is the situation now you are um getting big commissions so do you have apprenticeships and has this developed into something uh more like the old uh the old-fashioned studio where you have sort of senior students and people helping you out on real works is, is that what's going on now yes i suppose in the Reflection, there are about four different types of teaching or student that I have, starting from the bottom, as it were. Yeah. Um, I run once a year five day workshops, and that's literally first come, first serve. So you get people who are experienced, some unexperienced. So that can be a first point of contact for me to discern if someone has got a, a, a gift. 
Um, some people keep coming back, so there's some sort of progress there, but it's just an introduction then. Um, and then after that, sometimes you get people entering second, uh, more in-depth form of teaching, which is a three-year course, that seven times a year, um, I meet with these 12 students um, for three or four days, and that goes for three years. So basically 21 days times three, 63 days spread over three years. But I give them a lot of homework. Um, and that is by application. I might get 30, 40 people applying for these 12 places mm. and only have one group for three years. So that's more in depth. Um, and then sometimes after that, people want follow up or, or sometimes I have someone come out of blue, I feel gifted. So I might see them once a month over a number of years, um, give them lots of homework or might be once a week for an hour or two. So that's sort of an ongoing, more informal apprenticeship. The fourth level um, is a full-time apprenticeship effectively. And I have one at the moment, Martin Earl, who's been with me about seven years. So I mentioned him as my assistant, but really he's more like a colleague now. So he, he's, he's very bright, very gifted. So he's as good as I am in many, respect so more like a partner than a student now um, but then those good students that I've had in the past sometimes I will ask and pay them to work with me on the project uh, just a week two weeks ago um, I was working on a project commissioned by Prince Charles to paint a screen so um, I had three of my students come uh, and we spent six intensive days painting the screen uh, about two years ago for Catholic Church um, I painted a fresco, but it was a central um, for a chapel at Lancaster University. So I had Martin, my full-time uh, apprentice come associate, and then I was student for my diploma course. Um, so it, it's great having these larger projects so that I use um, people either who I've taught or um, who are already experienced and employ them. Uh, it might be on an informal basis, a few hours a week, or it might be three months and um, so it's, it's good for them because they can earn money but also it's an ongoing apprenticeship if you like and it helps me out as well if it's a big project right and of the people that you've taught have we got to the stage yet at any of them beginning to do what you're doing <laughs> you've done are, are there any of them now teaching others and developing i'm aware of one i i i, I the icon school in bethlehem um but um, yes. are there, is, is this beginning to spread in this model and as a sort of parallel to the mainstream art education, which is what I would like to see happen? So how, how is this yes. moving forward? Go on, yeah. Yeah, gradually, yes. Um, you, you mentioned um, Ian, who started a school in Bethlehem. So he yes. was paid by Stiosis to um, study under me for about a year, I think it was. Um, and then my own um, assistant, Martin, um, he has been asked to teach five-day courses sometimes. He's taught a mosaic course in Bethlehem, and, um, and okay. that's an ongoing thing. He's going to go to Lesbos soon to teach um, mosaic there at a sort of an informal school. Um, as some of my other students um, have started up, they're not courses, but feeling they needed support, um, one lady, Susan Mobley, um, uh, at the church um, she's at, she has a group every week gather for half a day. So she says, I'm not a teacher, but she sort of facilitates that and they just sort of 
compare notes as it were. So you couldn't really call it a, a teaching, but sort of some teaching encouragement. So that's been going about three years now, I think. Um, okay. Yeah, so I think it's a bit early yet to say there's a new, new generation who t who've learned from me who are fully equipped to teach, but you can see it almost beginning to happen. Um, some of them are teaching short courses, like Hannah Ward, for example, at the Princess School. She did my first um, three, in her case, four-year diploma course. And now she's teaching short courses at the Princess School. Um, so, uh, but what I feel the need for is not so much little short courses, which we have an yeah. abundance of. Yes. We need more of these serious long-term courses. Yeah. So my three-year part-time course, as far as I know, it's the fullest course available in icon painting in the West. But that's just a, uh, a foundation course. You know, really, you need about 10, 20,000 hours to be a fully equipped icon painter. So that's effectively, if it's 10,000 hours, that's five years full-time. If it's 20,000 hours, which is what Fathers and Honours says is required, that's a 10-year full-time course or apprenticeship. So I feel that even the part-time course I do is just a foundation. And I do tell this to my students, you know, this is only a foundation. So, so don't declare yourself a fully psychologist yeah. after that. Which, which I think, yeah, but which really stresses the importance. Uh, we still need people who are able to do then what you did, which is uh, mm. work a lot of this out themselves because the, the full-time courses aren't available. The state, which of course is so important in education in the UK at least, um, is not is not going to be funding a ten-year icon painting course, in, in, as far as we can see. Um, and that's why I think that um, your style of teaching is so important, because for, <clears throat> for you need the right temperament. A lot of a lot of other things need to be there, and the talent. But you are at least equipping people to develop. Um, with a lot of self-motivation mm. uh, be, um, because you're um, in the model that, that you yourself followed, if you like. Um, and so it needs great dedication and work, but um, I think that what you're doing is the way to, to go because it, it relies less on, um, it's a way that we can go from where we are now, is what mm. I would say. That, that, that you've got to start from where you are and just hoping that somebody's going to donate millions and millions of pounds or dollars and establish it. It can happen, but probably it doesn't. These things are gradually and they start with people doing things. And so I think um, that is the, the model for the future. Certainly that's in the areas in which I've been involved. That, that is, I don't know if you were aware that I was looking at the way you were teaching <laughs> like this, but uh, this, I was analyzing as much what you were doing as what I was learning, because I was interested in understanding how art could be taught. And you know, my goal was to try and bring people together who could work in that way. And so, first of all, I just want to thank you for, for being so generous. I, I should say that um, that first letter that I wrote to Father Athanasius, in which he, he obviously looked at it and thought, I don't know why this guy has written to me. I, and I still can't remember why that his name was mentioned. He wasn't an orthodox guy, but I wrote this and then I got a letter back from you and I just wanted to, to learn egg tempera technique. And you wrote and said, come and stay with me. 
and I'll teach you what I can for a weekend. So um, you were you know, generous right from the start. So I just want to say thank you very much for, for that and, and your friendship over the years as well. It's, uh, it's, it's been a great, a great pleasure and a great influence on me, Aidan. Um, okay. We've got to start with what is possible. Um, a bit of history to the certificate course that I teach, the three-year one, is that um, first the Prince of Wales asked me if I could teach uh, the one-week module his master's students. There's a two-year full-time master's course at the Prince's School. And the first year consists of about 10 modules, each module being one art form. And he asked if I could teach the one-week module and module and icon painting. So I did this for a number of years, but I, I kept saying we really need something much more serious. You know, there's a demand for icons. The quality of the iconography is quite low on the average in the West because of lack of training. Can we do something more serious? So I was actually looking to start a full-time liturgical art school. I realized there weren't enough individuals for just an icon school. So I was looking at the whole range of liturgical arts that I had experience in carving and fresco. So I spent quite a bit of energy and time for a year or two seeing if we could establish a full-time course. But I realised after a while, it, it, for various reasons, the time wasn't right. So I came up with this idea of a part-time course. Mm. Um, so basically, it's, it's that they could be managed financially. Just financially, in England anyway, there weren't many people who were willing to spend three years full-time studying iconography, and I wasn't willing to teach full-time. So this, this part-time course was a result of responding to what was actually possible. So I think you've got to start with what is possible. I'd say the ideal in the ideal world would be an apprenticeship, working full-time with the master for five, six, seven years, which was how it used to be in the old days. The second best would be to do a full-time course in an institution, and Russia has these, has the same Tikhon Institute, combined with the Theological Academy, so they get the theology and the practical hand-in-hand. Mm -hmm. um, and the next best is to do what I'm doing, which is a part-time course um, that sort of followed up after people have finished with um, some sort of work with a literary person, just, just be the odd week here, there and everywhere. Um, and they're just struggling really to do your best. But that, that sort of course assumes, as you were saying, that the teaching helps you to watch, to see, to look and observe. So you can be, I don't like the term self-taught, but think of it as organising your own teaching and self-taught. You're learning from the masters, but you're sort of organising your own structured time. So you're not really teaching yourself, you're learning from the masters, but having to um, discover their secrets yourself. Yes. So I think the, the way that I having to teach is born out of the fact that people can't actually spend much time with me. They can't watch me paint a lot so i've got to try to help them to see and study the master themselves. so that that's the that's the reality of it so um i've got to actually say you know deal with what the situation actually is which is part-time courses and training people to, to learn the secrets by observation by, by analysis really yes and i i think there's hope through this i really do i, th I think that um we're seeing an improvement. I think the uh, the understand not just that people are learning to paint icons well, but the the general impact that has on the art world. Um, 
is good that, that people are starting to realize that they they that beauty is important uh, whatever you're doing and i think it's work such as yours that's really um helping to contribute that uh, aiden um right i think we'll we'll stop there i hope we can have further talks in the in the future um but why don't you just tell us what you're working on now it'd just be interesting to hear what you're you know what's what your current commissions are and what you're doing i'm always excited to hear uh, and then also just give us some basic information where people if you know where they can see your work and you know websites and that sort of thing so that they they can contact you if they want to yes i've just finished designing an icon of saint um Ethelberger. Um, this is for a church actually the oldest church in the city of london of course there's a great fire in london and many churches were destroyed but this is the oldest church um founded by saint Ethelberger. so that was interesting doing an icon of a western saint so there's no icon of her in existence or there's one quite poor one but so basically i'm designed from scratch so i've just done the design for that um i just spent about two months working with martin on designing things for a catholic cathedral and this is stone carving, the wood furniture, wall painting, fresco probably, and so on. Um, uh, I'm just going to come in there. A, so a Catholic. I, this, I, yeah, I did this. this yeah. You mentioned it's a Catholic cathedral. That's encouraging that the Catholics are, <laughs> are actually interested. Good. So the, the standard of the, yeah. the art in the Catholic cathedrals will be improving too. So, yeah, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> About a third of the commissions are from Anglican churches and a third from Catholics and a third from Orthodox. So uh, okay. I don't know about America, but certainly in Britain, they have a flourishing. Great, yeah. great, that's good news. Um, uh, and and in, in terms of seeing my own work, um, aidenhardicons.com yes. is my main website. But for my mosaics, I have aidenhardmosaics.com. Um, and then for my sort of more general furnishings, is aidenhart.co. So uh, various websites, but you can access all of those through aidenhardicons.com. Okay. Um, .co.uk, I presume. No, no, .co. .co. Oh, right. Okay. All right. There we go. Um, also, well, this has been a, a, a great advert for Martin Earl. First of all, his name is appearing on the screen, obviously using his computer. So, uh, and you, you mentioned that he's. <laughs> So we will, uh, I hope Martin gets some uh, commissions out of this as well. If people start looking at his work. Uh, yeah, no, he's very, very good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Aidan, that, that's terrific. Lovely. I think we'll stop there. Uh, great to talk to you and uh, let's do it again sometime. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.